Thank you for listening to this artist talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, Sarah Waters explains her work on display in Sappers and Shrapnel, Contemporary Art and the Art of the Trenches. This exhibition is free to attend and is showing until the 29th of January 2017. Thank you all for being here. Um, firstly, Mani Naputni. And I will begin by just acknowledging that we are meeting today on the land of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains um, and to recognise the continuation of their cultural heritage and beliefs and relationship with the land and to pay respects to elders past and present. <laughs> so I do have the great pleasure of introducing Sarah Waters today. So the artist, of course, of the works that were gathered around quite nice that we're all gathered in a circle. I think they're quite intimate works, so if anyone wants to come forward. Sarah also has brought with her some props so that we can get a sense of texture, um, which, yeah, as Sarah will talk about, is very important. So Sarah is a local artist, so I'm sure many of you know well. She's a graduate of the South Australian School of Art at uh, UniSA and also of Adelaide University and is currently doing her PhD at UniSA, so she's very busy. And she also was this year's winner of the Heisen Prize, um, which is quite an achievement, so congratulations. Um, and so Sarah and I were thinking about this work um, during its making and I was able to write about it for the publication. Um, and we spoke a lot about time and also sense of duty. Um, which is kind of an idea that, uh, that Lisa Slade has explored throughout the exhibition um, as the curator of the exhibition. But I will leave it to Sarah to talk about this work and also the works on the walls um, in the corner here just behind some of you. Um, and I think it's quite an intimate group, so Sarah was quite happy for questions to kind of come up as they come into your mind um, and we'll make it quite conversational. Okay, over to Sarah. Please join me in welcoming Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Elle. Um, I don't know if people have bought the catalogue yet, but Elle has done a fabulous job in not only kind of capturing all of the ideas that I was trying to get into this blanket in particular, but also really setting the historical scene for it as well. So it's a really good read. Um, I reread it recently again and was reminded of all these things I was thinking while <laughs> I was making it, so thank you. Um, so do ask questions along the way. I'd really appreciate that as, as prompts, but also so it is conversational and, and an intimate talk. Can you all hear me okay? Yep, okay, good. Um, so I'll start talking about the blanket. So I'll just say, though, there's the cloaks, the mask. There's also a work up on the... Um, the landing of the stairs, a little Australia map with You Are Here stitched into it that's um, one of my works for this exhibition as well. Um, so when I was asked to be in this show, it was about a year and a half, a bit, a bit more than a year and a half ago actually, but it took me a while to really come to terms with what I was going to, what endeavour I was going to undertake for the work. Um, we got to go to the War Memorial and just before I left I got an email from a local artist, Helen Fuller, to say, have you seen this blanket? Because I'm quite well known for textiles in Adelaide and so she knew that it would be of interest to me. And um, I had a look and there online you can look up Guttenby, so Clifford Guttenby, um, his prisoner of war blanket it was from World War II and he'd begun by stitching his name into the corner of an army issue blanket and then 
in my imagination, something overtook him and he could not stop stitching and it, he became this obsession. And it's, I think, I think the show has finished at NGV now, but it was recently shown in the quilt exhibition. And if you have a look, every tiny iota of the blanket is covered in this really um, obsessive uh, stitch in all different colours. And so I, I, I sought out Gatton blanket when I was in Canberra and it was, it was folded up, so I couldn't quite get a grasp of the whole thing um, in, in person, but I really got a sense of that, why he might have done that. And for me, it was this kind of taking your mind somewhere else, because he was in several prisoner of war camps. He was in Austria and then in Germany, and when he escaped, he actually took the blanket with him. And I know how heavy that one is. And I know that it's not, you know, as covered as densely as his. And so his would have been a burden, but not a burden he was willing to, like, go without to escape. He, it obviously meant so much to him. And I'm not sure whether, maybe Elle knows, whether he continued stitching after the war. No. No. It's one of those, one of those mysteries. But for me, this, this, I wanted to pay homage to Gatonby in a way and that, that endeavour. So I started this blanket. I went out and I bought an army issue blanket. So this is a blanket that has been out with a soldier and then come back and um, you know, sold on the market. I started in this far corner over here, stitched a little square, 10 by 10 centimetres and probably about that size actually. And I'll pass that around so that people can get a sense of the, the kind of density. But if you also imagine when you're stitching wool through a thick wool blanket, it's not an easy feed. It's not like a... Um, it's not like cotton through linen, which is my usual practice. There's a lot of tension, there's a lot of pulling, there's a lot of strain. And so that, that small area would take me a good three to four hours. And so I calculated from the size of the blanket in that small area how long it would take, and I came to the figure of 855 hours and thought, oh, okay, and went back to my studio, and I have, my studio mate is uh, Deidre, but who's same, and I talked it through with her and was like, I just couldn't not do it. So I, I decided that I'd stitch every night three to four hours and, and kind of go on this, this endeavour. And I went through every, every emotion you can imagine. It's been my life for a year and a half, so I've, some days when I was emotional I might have stitched tighter than other days and, and other days I chose colours that I might not have chosen the day before. So it becomes this kind of mapping of my time but also thinking about duty, about women in particular who may have sent their sons, I have two sons, may have sent their sons off to war and how they found some kind of solace in their day, like whether, you know, something like this is meditative and can put your mind elsewhere for a sh you know, short amount of time. And I don't pretend to know what that feels like at all, but you know, everyone in daily life has fears and maybe there's a way of channeling our fears or our anxieties, which do often come out at night time. Oh, so why I've presented it scrunched up. It is scrunched up. <laughs> so it's, I wanted to kind of create a terrain. So I stitched it really tightly so it pulled in. So it was actually a lot larger than it was to start with. And as I've stitched, even in the last three months, it lost 30 centimetres in size because of how tightly I stitched it. So that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, not only was I thinking of this as a... Um, a you know, an artwork, a piece of embroidery, and like Gattenby's, because Gattenby's is flat, so his doesn't have this same terrain. Um, I wanted to think about 
the land and how that became really ravaged. And I looked at a lot of photos at the War Memorial of the ground and the trees. You know, the trees were just these, they looked like sticks that had been ripped and stuck into the ground. There'd been so much damage with all of the fighting. And the ground still today, apparently, particularly in France, you know, there's items turning up in the soil that have, you know, are turning around. So I wanted to think a lot about the layers and this kind of tumultuous terrain but also from an art point of view, I hope, I don't know if you've had a look from, it's in this position so you can look over the, um, from the staircase and look down and you can read uh, more imagery from a distance when you look over. There's, there's a figure, there's shoes, there's arms, there's a gas mask, um, all other kinds of uh, like landscape elements going on in there. Whereas when you come down here on this level, you know, for me it's almost like a, um, you know, like a, a terrain that people would have mapped out their next moves or, or you know, that planned that warfare upon. Yeah, so... Um, oh. This theme? Well, I think, well, I, I've been curated into this ex exhibition because I often look at my family histories. And so a lot of looking at my family history, of course, every family history usually in some way intersects with war. So this was the opportunity for me to delve into particular ancestors, but also women and how they dealt with that, um, the impact of war on the home front. So I did find the title um, is Remembering John's. So I did find that while I was doing that family history research, there were many, many Johns in our family. Um, so John Bernard Waters, who he actually died at Mouquet Farm, so not far from the Somme. Um, he had sent, tragically sent a postcard to his sister um, 10 days before with a photo of himself on the front and said that he didn't like the photo and he'd have a better one taken when he got home. So, you know, you're tragic. Um, there was also John Griffith George Braddock who went to go to war and broke his leg as he got on the train. So he, that saved his life, likely. Um, I also have German ancestry. So this one, the mask type work is called Remembering Johann. And so there was a Johann John in German for, um, well, Johann Junior and a Johann Senior who both fought in World War I, on, obviously on the German side. They both lived... Um, well, at least from World War One. So I and I did this quick search um, to try and figure out how many, at least from the Australian point of view, how many Johns had gone to war. Because you know, there's the movie Dear John as well, and it becomes like a kind of John becomes a stand-in for many people's ancestors because it's such a common name. And just of cursory search, I came up with 16,000 Johns in World War One who fought. So, you know, it's kind of, it's astounding. So we're, we're, all our families are touched by war and the legacy of war as well. So, um, what was I going to say about that? <laughs> Mental blank. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, every night while I was stitching, and it wasn't every night, of course, there were some nights where it just was too much and, and I had to take a little break. I would watch war movies or I would listen to, like I listened to Richard Flanagan's um, Narrow Road to the Deep North um, on audiobook and I would kind of try and take in these filmic terrains, you know, documentaries and things as well to try to, you know, I don't, I, don't, I guess it's, 
is you're never going to recreate that atmosphere and you wouldn't want to, but it's to try and get a sense of, um, of the emotional terrain that I was stitching within as well, but from very much from an outside point of view. Um, and so with Gattenby's blanket as well, if you can imagine, he was in a prisoner of war camp, so he didn't have wool readily available. So he would have had to use jumpers that he unravelled or um, wool that was given to him in whatever way, whatever he could find. So I, early on in the project, I asked for um, if anybody had any brown wool or green coloured wool or grey if they wanted to donate it to this project. So all of the wool used here is secondhand repurposed wool. All, all of the people that turned out giving me wool were women, so a big group of women have donated wool. Um, and or I also bought it secondhand, so wool that was meant for another purpose that I have, have you know, um, bought over and, and used for this. There were jumpers that I unravelled. That's a very long process, I learnt. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, all different ways of um, finding and using the wool here. I did also start with a small group um, and we were stitching together. So, you know, I really want to thank Zoe, um, Judy and Julia for their hours. And that was really productive for that community of... of um, stitch and what happens when women work together. But I will say that probably didn't last very long and in the end it became a nighttime endeavour um, for myself. Yeah, so something that's often asked about this is, is it planned? And it's, it's not. I really, I started in the corner, I had a loose idea. In this, this corner here in particular, I, I used a photograph from the war memorial of that terrain all churned up and blew it up and blew it up and blew it up and then turned it into a pattern, which I started stitching. And then soon enough realised that that was camouflage. And that's, you know, it, it, it reflected that, um, the way that we, um, yeah, design fabric for warfare. But um, at the same time, I um, then just kind of had to let it go. It got out of my control. You can imagine a year and a half project. There was a lot of panic. There was a lot of, am I going to make it? There was a lot of, um, like I have only just lost my calluses and it's been a few months. They're still, my fingers are still quite hard. And I, I think in lots of ways, it was that bodily strain that really, um, that I reflected on daily. And I'd think about, did Gattenby also, you know, find some kind of solace in this I don't know, this hardening of his body for this particular task or it, at, at the very least it's a distraction or, you know, because I find myself feeling this callous often as well and, yeah, there was just a lot of strain. It was very, um, it was very difficult to pull it through. There was, so there was solace in it but there was also this sense of duty and not wanting to face it on a daily basis for a period of time as well, as you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, the emotional range. I think that's all about that one, unless anybody has any questions. We can come back to that after, if there are any. Um, I might talk a little bit about... They're all connected, of course, um, in my thinking and what I was working through at the time. Um, the camouflage cloaks for invaders um, are really a, a strange... Sorry, making everyone move a really a strange collision of ideas that um, come together in these works. Um, I have ancestors that come from the southeast of South Australia and I was studying their photographs which were taken around um, 
the outbreak of World War One, and also well, they go over to the period of World War Two as well. And at the same time, I was looking at this um, this well-known Australian embroidery book called The Gentle Art of Embroidery. And in there, there's these curious photos of children in these Hessian, lovingly made Hessian lined sacks um, that, that have hoods on them, cloaks. And what they used to do, what um, the little description says, is they'd have training drills so that if the shores of Australia were invaded, these children would put on their Hessian cloaks and go and run out into the the bush and hide and that they had all these kids hiding you could see their hoods behind a hill and then they had another photo of them kind of running around and playing after in these these cloaks and it struck me that you know not only were they lovingly made and lined but they were like filled with fear as well about what was going to happen for these kids in the future of Australia um, should we be invaded so I was thinking about my ancestors down in the southeast and there's a photo of them um, going on kangaroo hunts and particularly my great-great-grandmother is standing there with a gun and the page is named, it's actually named Wallaby Hunt. There's no wallabies but you know that's that's the name of the page so whether it was probably an entertainment or a rather than a, um, actually killing animals but I'm, I'm sure that's involved as well and so I was thinking what they'd have access to and so they had access to furs and they also you know, these kind of repurposed um, canvas army bags that I've turned into the hoods. So these are, it's, it's difficult to tell, but from here you can see they're, they're lovingly lined. Um, they, the tail is lined with leather so that it could be worn for a long time out in the bush and not wear out. Not that kangaroo fur is likely to wear out. Um, but they're also made for the size of my sons. So I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. So when the four-year-old comes in, he wants to put it on <laughs> straight away. <laughs> So yeah, so for me they're, they're almost like two brothers and you know, there's that question in the title as well, Cam camouflage cloaks for invaders and you know, of course acknowledging that my ancestry is settler colonial white ancestry and who are the invaders, you know Australia has a long, a long history of warfare that's not always acknowledged here as well. Um, yeah, so this kind of challenging works and sorry just turning over to this one over here um, remembering Johan it came right at the very end of the works um, for this show right at the very end <laughs> I was kind of making to almost the last day and I think that work it's one of those works that had to come out and it comes out of a very sad story but again it's a collision of looking at artefacts um, I looked at the war memorial that you know the milk jug covers where women used to make like doilies and then they'd have beads on the edge and so they'd hang over the milk jugs and this idea of preserving or stopping something spoiling I guess was the, the idea that I was dwelling on with those and um, Johan Jr he went and fought in World War One but soon after World War One ended there wasn't a lot of hope in Germany I think you know it was building up to World War Two and he committed suicide so that, that event caused my grandfather to come to Australia and he jumped ship. So he was an engineer going round on a ship, went to South America, came to Australia and when he got here, he had come with the idea of he was never going back to Germany because he, you know, that event was a catalyst for him to find a more hopeful future. So for me, there's, there's a, both a tragedy but then also this hopeful future that my grandfather um, sought for the family out of that. So there's this kind of landscape 
almost camouflage again um, in the background, but a much more kind of hopeful, hopeful light within that work. So I think it's important to remember Johan, not only for the, the tragedy, but you know, that what, how he spurred our family on in this, this kind of new terrain. Um, I think, and just finally, I'll talk about the one upstairs, even though you can't see it, but on your way, way out, if you might have seen it on the way down. Um, it's in an Australia-shaped wooden frame, so they were the sweetheart frames um, that people would often put a picture of their loved one in um, during the war. Very, I guess, nationalistic with that, that Australia shape. But in there I've got stitched, you are here, but also a reference to David Horton's um, Indigenous map or Aboriginal map of Australia. So to recognise, and I guess the reason that it's up there on that platform is almost like an opening statement to the exhibition or a, at least a starting point to, to recognise that we are on Aboriginal land and, and as I was talking about before, the, the history of the war that um, we don't always recognise here. Um, I know there's some, some talk at the War Memorial of um, whether they have artefacts relating to earlier history, not, not necessarily World War I and World War II, but that's an area up for discussion at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, at the War Memorial. So at the War Memorial, um, we, as artists, some of us went together and some of us went separately. So when I went, it was about two or three days. And we were really lucky. They took us to their warehouse and we could sit there and they bought out objects. So a lot of the objects that you see in the the trench art area in the, um, the next gallery over, we got to see, and, and many more amazing objects as well. Like one of them I particularly remember was a gun um, barrel, that wooden, that um, the soldier, because I think there was a lot of personalising of weapons, so people carving into them, even though it was national property or didn't, didn't belong and it had to be um, re-handed up summaries and this one I think evaded that kind of process and you know beautifully um, carved and this a lot of attention to to detail in that that gun yeah by really identifying it as his own. So he started with his name and his unit number. Um, so maybe, yeah, I don't think I have thought about that before, but just yeah. the need to, um, it's not even a claiming of property, but a claiming of self maybe within whatever that is that you're working on, mm. um, which is interesting for you as well, um, because a lot of your images have come from you know, family photographs. Um, as well as those, yeah, photographs of the um, War Memorials collection and other bits and pieces, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But, yeah, do you want to yeah, continue? Gonna... <laughs> no, I was just going to say about the family photographs that I referenced. They're the, amongst... We've got quite a few family photographs and there's particular, like, poses and things that I thought were very telling of that, that member. And I think... Johan Senior, for example, would tuck his hand into his um, jacket, which is a very European pose, I believe. So, you know, that's, that's in there, and you, you might be able to see it more so if you look from above. Or um, there's John's, 
John's leg, um, the broken leg is in there as well. There's, there's all these kind of references to their stories and how, um, I guess how we understand them contemporarily as well. But also a lot of my work is about dwelling and working through things and it takes a long time to, to do that. And, you know, I've, I think I've promised to everyone in my life that I'm not going to make another blanket of this size, but I probably, I probably could make another one just because there is, you know, there's a lot to work through and it gives you that opportunity to slow down time to really focus in on something that, I don't know about anybody else's life, but it's often very fast-paced and we don't get that, that quiet time to really solidify what it is that we're working through. Not that there's a resolution, I won't say that, but it's a, it's a way of exorcising it. Yeah. Should we end on that note? I think we'll thank Sarah for being here. <laughs>